thank you very much for allowing me to come back over and over again. And But thank you for coming down to the mission this past Christmas. Some of you were there uh, just decorating all this campus all up for Christmas. And the promise is that you'll be here again. And so we're thankful for that. And also for you who come down and bring things and give things and send the check from the church comes in. And I'm always honored to thank your church and church family for making us a mission partner here up in the great area of, uh, you know, speculator. So thank you for that blessing. And we're keeping moving on. It's been a, it's been a great year. Last year we were here during the pandemic, and you were doing well. I was glad for that because the mission never closed during the pandemic, so we've been open. You can't send the homeless uh, out to the river. Uh, during a pandemic, you have to keep track of them. And so we did, and we had very few times when we had cases, and uh, they were not severe, even the few that we had. So we thank God for that. But we keep keep the gospel going. And if you come down, and if you want to come down and do something down there, please call us. Uh, my wife Susan is right there in the back row, and she's, uh, she's going to be out. There's some literature out, and there's a volunteer coordinator called Hope, and she's really full of hope, and that's what hope's all about. And she loves to plug people into ministry. So uh, do that, and we'll be glad to have you. Uh, we About two weeks, we will move the women into a new 28-bed facility. Uh, it's 32,000 square feet. Uh, it's been done a lot by our own labor, and it's been... It's got to go through a CO, a certificate of occupancy permit from the city. So when they come down, but we're ready, and usually they like what we do. Uh, they see the work that we've done is very quality, and the women are so excited to be in such a beautiful center. And uh, it, it's been done in an old warehouse that we had. Uh, we purchased at auction prices, and so we are now have two big warehouses that were purchased at auction prices and now are finished. So... Thank you. You've helped with that process, and we also have a plan before the city for a 30,000-square-foot addition to our main building because we sleep so many people on the floor on mats, and so many people have hefty bags. I always, I, you know, I don't ever look at hefty bags the same anymore because I often, I know that the hefty bags that we have are the suitcases of the homeless, but we are planning a big row of lockers, like a hundred and some lockers in that building, and a new place where guys can transition actually into jobs from there, along with our transition from our discipleship programs in another building. And I think, Lord, I'm getting old at the 66, and he said, well, we got buildings to build, so don't worry about it, just keep going. I'll tell you when you're done. And so he always tells you when you're done. I'm sure he does. But we're thankful, and this has been a great year. People have stood with us. As you know, we don't take government money, and we don't take, uh, you know, any loans or mortgages. We have to pay for anything we build, and it's, it'll be the same thing with this new building that we're going to build. And the Lord has provided a, a, a lot of our monies that are needed even for that building, and so we just keep moving and do what it does. But we're a gospel mission. People come over to see what a gospel mission looks like, and it's not just a poor old place, you know, three hots and a cot. So we're thankful. I say, yeah, you can do both things. You can you can do some really new things like our clinic and our clothing center and many other social-type ministries and weave it all into a gospel mission and keep the gospel like the thing out in front. So if the governor and anybody else comes, they always know that's the gospel. They're a gospel mission, and here's why. And so 
and that has been powerful. We're we're uh, we're just thankful for that. I I uh, would say if you know people that need help in that sense, homeless and need to be brought in, fine. You also are doing wonderful things up here with your ministry center. So thank God for you. I'm here. There's literature out there. We're praising the Lord for another year of ministry, and we're you know we're we're at it. And hopefully, when we get back, the women will be in into this new exciting place for a discipleship program that they've not had at that level. So praise the Lord for that. We're going to be in a passage you've read since you were in Sunday school. <laughs> you've read Zacchaeus, you come down. <laughs> you've sang that song. <laughs> and you've probably preached it up here and so forth. But I choose it because it, it matches rescue mission work. It, and it's, it's, it's Jesus on a rescue mission. Because our great God is on a rescue mission through his son. People who are lost, as you heard the verse, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Sometimes if I use that word lost, I'll even have some people who I thought were Christians will say, no, they're not really lost. I'll say, yeah, they are, because I was lost, and they're lost. They're on a road that leads to eternal loss, eternal destruction, eternal damnation. They're on a place that's going nowhere but to a Christless eternity away from God. And they keep going that way. They haven't changed course. That's where they're going. And God says he came to seek them and save them and put them on a path to eternal life. And so, yes, they're lost. If somebody says, no, they're not lost, yeah, they're lost. I mean, it's come out of a negative term to some people. Well, you know, you're lost too. Well, I was lost and Christ saved me. And now we're out there doing that. And that's where Christ is. In the passage today, just to set quick historic He's been in northern Galilee after he healed Lazarus from the dead. He brought him back, and he knows the heat's on. In fact, the Jewish councils decided they should kill him and kill Lazarus. So he went to northern Galilee, not because he was afraid of them, but because there was a very special time that he needed to be there, and it wasn't that time. He would be at the Passover, and he would be their Passover lamb. And so he was coming down what we call the Dead Sea Valley, down toward the Dead Sea into Jericho, and was with crowds, thousands and thousands of Passover crowds, pressing him almost like a grape. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything but minister on his way down to die for our sins. Uh, he meets a, a down-and-out guy who didn't have any money except for what they threw on his cloak, and his name was Bartimaeus. And he got a wind that it was Christ coming by and starts screaming at the top of his lungs. It's amazing when God, you have a disability, there's other disabilities that intensify. He had a big set of pipes, and he's yelling, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And, of course, Jesus did. <laughs> Even though they tried to shut him up, he would not stop, and Jesus reached to this down-and-out man. And when I see down-and-out men coming into the city mission, uh, I thank God for them because I know that God has got a plan for their life and they are as important to him as me or anybody else. And Christ knew that the down and out that he met constantly, thousands and thousands and thousands, he reached them. And lest we think that that's not our job, it is, to reach to the, those who are as, as struggling as possible. And you, you are a picture of that up here in Speculators. Thank you for doing that. 
But he doesn't just reach the down and out, he reaches the up and out. And the up and lost. Which I, and we're only told by, by Luke of these two per se in this going towards the Passover to die for us. He meets, and on his mind is an, not an appointment book, he didn't have an appointment book, but it's all up here. He is to meet and to seek and to save a very well-known and very wicked man named Zacchaeus. He's got an appointment with him. And let's look and see how God appoints things, how he does that when he's doing it. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Well, Jericho is this beautiful city uh, that was made very beautiful by Herod and his son Archelaus. They had roses as far as you could see. They had these beautiful bushes called uh, balsam bushes that had this aroma that was so beautiful that they sold it all over the known world at that point. Balsam left Jericho for all points as an export, and it was beautiful. And the weather is like Southern California. Anybody been to Southern California? Yes, it never rains there, they say. But the fact of the matter is it does. (laughs) But I've been there. I like it on this coast better. But the fact of the matter is it's very temperate. It's a climate that's just beautiful, and that's what Jericho was like. That's why Herod made a palace there. If you've ever been there... To Jericho, if you've been to Israel, you'll know this is a beautiful spot. It's a great temperature. And that's where Jesus is uh, going. And he's going through Jericho, and he's on his way through, and it's time to meet somebody. And this man is Zacchaeus. His place, oh, let me get my PowerPoint out. I have this. I wasn't going to do this this morning, but if it has any value to you, we'll do that. Um, (laughs) It's not real fancy. Uh, click it on for me if you would thanks next slide okay I just have a very simple address today the sorry sinner the seeking savior the spectacular salvation now you can memorize that on the way out right (laughs) well the place of this sorry sinner is Jericho and it's why wouldn't he be there if you had a lot of cash a lot of money could afford anything you ever wanted or dreamed of you'd want to be in Jericho with Herod But his position, his name is Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. In the Bible, there's only two tax collectors in the Gospels that have a name. (laughs) Matthew and Zacchaeus. And Matthew know all about him. And Zacchaeus, that wonderful man, the the name means innocent. (laughs) I'm thinking, oh boy. That boy was anything but innocent. But he was despised. He was a chief tax collector. If you were in the Greek language of which my mother spoke, architalonus, architalonus, he was an architeclonus. You say, what's an architeclonus? It means he, he builds cash, <laughs> this guy. He's a chief tax collector. If it's your business to build cash in whatever way that is, investments and so forth and so forth, that's what he was an architeclonus. Okay. If you're an architect, that's where your name comes from, (laughs) a builder of things. So he's a builder of cash, and did he build cash? That boy was one wealthy guy. Rome had determined that Israel would have three areas, three tax districts. I always think of it when I'm having a right to Andover Mass. You know, we all write to Andover Mass once a year called IRS. 
1040s, you know. You have to go, okay. So they had three of these stations, and Rome said, so much money has to come from them, and we want a, a chief tax collector in each one of those districts. They will all. They will hire the, the the little tax collectors like Matthew, and they'll get all the money, and they'll send on our portion. Herod, you take your portion too. But then, it's going on to Rome, and whatever you get, whatever you, how you get it, and what you keep, and what we don't know, we need to know. What we need to know is you got ours, and so that's his job, year after year after year, extorting more than he needed, taking more than he should have. And he got wealthier and wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And he was Jewish, and the Jews hated him. If they could have rammed a, a, a sword to him, they would have. He was seen as a cutthroat, rebellious, terrible man who didn't even love his own God. And that's where we find this very wealthy man. Nobody liked him either. So he was pretty lonely. So no wonder they hung out with other Publicans, other tax collectors. He hung out with sinners, prostitutes, other people who were very low in the total pole of life. Because if you have that kind of money, but yet you've gotten it in such a way that everybody on the planet hates you, your friends are pretty, pretty much the guys you meet at the at the pub, at the bar, at that whatever. And that's who he was. He was a lonely guy in that sense. But reach out, Jesus, to him. But do you know him? Do you know where he's been? Sat with this one guy at the altar at the mission one night. And he was weeping, sobbing, because I had preached the gospel. And he came down and he said, Perry, he called me Reverend Perry. You don't know what I've been doing. The nasty, nasty, sinful life I've been leading, the things that I've been doing that I can't even talk about. You don't, you don't know me. I said, Jesus knows you. And I think these tears are tears of repentance, and you're going to give your heart to Christ. Which he left there with a relief of powerful Christ Jesus, that even though he could say to me, you don't know where I've been. You don't know how stinky I am. I said, I know Jesus loves you, and I've been, there's probably not much you can tell me after 40 years of mission work on the streets of Albany. But needless to say, isn't it great? Jesus sought him out. He was, he, was, he was a very wealthy man. His plan, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Well, excuse me, why would you want Jesus? You got a, you've got more cash than anybody ex probably except Herod in that district. Well, it's probably he heard of the miracle of raising Lazarus. That Everybody heard that, and, and that's you know, where he had not too many miles, 15 miles away, up the hill, at Bethany. So he had heard that. He also had heard that Christ had a reputation of hanging around tax collectors. <laughs> they who else hangs around with us? I mean, we're the bottom of the pile. And Jesus loves us. And he called one of us, named Matthew, to serve him. Maybe there's something about him for me. His empty, sinful soul. Sometimes you think, well, this guy's got money, he's got this and that, and you go behind the scenes, and you've got a miserable person who has no future. And all the money in the world doesn't help him. One day, Susan and I were at the bed of a very wealthy man, probably one of the three wealthiest men in the capital region of New York, and he called for me to come to his bedside. 
he was dying from a very severe stroke and other conditions. And he said, his daughter said, Dad wants to see you. So we went in there. And I said, God has a gift for you, but he doesn't want anything from you right now in the sense of your money or any of that. You've given every hospital, every children's cause, everything there ever was. But he wants you to receive something. He has something for you, and you need that because you can't get to heaven without what he gives you, and that's eternal life and forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. We prayed the sinner's prayer. I said, I want you to pray this prayer if that's what you need. If you're really ready to receive what Christ has from you, don't worry about giving. Put that all out of your mind. This is you. And he said to me, well, after we finished, he called me down to his ear, and he said, I just prayed that prayer with you. Amen. And he's not a man that, you know, would just fluff out stuff. He, would, he told you if he didn't like you in a lot of colors. But I knew at that point God had done business because it was about Jesus reaching out to a very wealthy man and thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Who was he seeking? Jesus Christ. No one can come unto, the, come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, his problem, he was a little guy. We don't know how little, but he could have been five foot. That means that I would be six inches taller than him. But, but the fact of the matter, your pastor and I, you know, so I'm looking, I'm thinking, where did this guy come from? <laughs> what do they do in Tennessee, man? What do they feed you down there, man? But anyway, I've always been five, six. But anyway, and <laughs> but my, you know, my looking at this guy, he was too short. And then if he got in the crowds, he couldn't see over them anyway. And if he got in there, he might be afraid of what one of them might do to him. So he's figuring, i got to do something here. So he, uh, <laughs> he couldn't see Jesus, but he wanted to see him. Oh, I pray that more and more of our country will want to see Jesus. We need him desperately. We've got a culture that's dying. This has been a year of death for us. I've watched more men and women die on the streets of Albany than any time in my 40 years, and most of it's been from addiction. Most of it's been from K2 laced and sprayed on and poured on and every chemical they can find on earth to enhance marijuana. I'm thinking the bath salts. What does the bath salt have to do with smoking K2? But they put that on. Has formaldehyde. They take formaldehyde now. That's supposed to go with you in your death. Now they're putting it on cigarettes and then they, they put other stuff like, you know, the fentanyl. And by that time, if you aren't dead, you probably feel like you are because you start tearing all your clothes off you're running down the street and I'm thinking what is wrong with this man I don't even have to think that I already know and we're in that culture of death do we need Jesus Christ in this country desperately we need him to reach the down and out the up and out and the mid-size out we need him and that's where Christ was on the count of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree so one of the men, Hughes, who said he was short, but he had good legs. <laughs> you know, he could run, you know. So sometimes those short guys run faster than the big guys, you know. But so he ran ahead where he knew the road going to Passover crowds, going to Jerusalem. He could circumvent and get there, and he climbed up into this very low-lying big tree called sycamore trees where it's a kid's delight, and the guy five six liked it too because he could climb it faster. So he's up in there, and he says, when he comes by, if nothing else, at least I'll see this very famous man who seems to love tax collectors and not despise us. And so that's where he is. Height challenge, yes. But what a strategy. 
we have people that come in weird ways to us. We had a guy named Fred from Cleveland last year. He was in Cleveland, his family was sick and tired of him. He was sick and tired of the drug use that he was involved with and alcohol. And he was a big strapping guy, a big African-American fellow about as big as your pastor, a little wider, big guy. And he came down, he said, I get, if I don't get out of here, I'll just be dead. So he left Cleveland and Ohio, jumped the C CSX train, just got in the back of one, the old hobo style, you know. I can tell you about hobos, man. They come through all the <laughs> One had a bowie knife one day. Somebody was challenging him at the dinner table. He pulls out a bowie knife this long. He said, are you trying to give me a hard time? And the guy looked at him and said, nope, nope, I'm not. I said, you need to put the bowie knife away. <laughs> put the bowie knife. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, it's amazing. It's amazing what God can do. So he got in the CSX from Cleveland to Albany, New York, and he woke up. I wonder where I am. He got outside, and he was in the, he was in the main rail yards for Albany, and uh, he started walking. He saw a sign, Albany, eight miles, and he walked. He got to a grocery store, and he went in there. He asked, I was so hungry. He's a big boy. Hadn't eaten. And so he went in and said, well, I asked a lady for some money, and she looked at me in horror and said, please, please. Uh, you know, so she ran from him because he looked so huge and unkept. So he went and he grabbed the cake from the deli, sat down, and ate the whole thing next, in a chair next to the deli bakery. He said, well, they're going to come and arrest me. I might as well have a full stomach. So <laughs> he said, nobody came. Nobody did anything. I got up. I left the empty cake tray there and went to the city mission. But I don't know. I was going there. I walked up the street, and it said, Jesus saves the cross, neon. And that's Pearl Street, the, the main entrance from the south end of the city. And he came to know Jesus Christ there in such a powerful way. And then he became one of our... The, the nicest men that you would want to see and such a love for Christ and he went back home. So you pray for Fred. I have a picture of him in my phone and he's up here and I'm down here. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> praise the Lord that he seeks and seeks and saves. So he's up in this tree and here comes the next slide because you guys are going to do it for me. The seeking Savior. Oh, aren't you glad Jesus seeks sinners? Because that's what he did for you and me. If you're sitting in this chair, he had a divine appointment with you at one point in your life. I believe that. I know it. I see it in Scripture. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He already knew him. Excuse me, you know who he is? Yeah, Zacchaeus. He's up there. He's hiding in the tree. The Son of Man knew him, called him by name. The meeting had been set up before the foundation of the earth. You say, some meetings, boy, that was a long meeting. <laughs> it was, because God knows who you are, and he seeks and he saves you, and that's what he has done with him. Remember Nathaniel? How do you know me? He said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Can you imagine, what can you do with a Savior like that? Worship, love him, follow him. Pray to him. He answered a couple requests of mine this week, which he shouldn't have because we're all sinners, you know, and I say, Lord, you shouldn't do that. I'm a sinner. He say, I know you're my son. Thank you, Lord. I love what he says next. He says, hurry and come down. Now, me, you may have used those two words when you raise children. <laughs> hurry up and come down. <laughs> now you wouldn't do that, yeah. <laughs> so... The fact of the matter is, 
They're two in the Greek language. They're, they're in the imperative, command, do it. I didn't say you, I want to see, maybe if you feel like it, come down. Jesus said, hurry, come down. Because I've got a meeting with you, right? I must stay at your house today. I must. M-U-S-T is a word that just means Jesus used it in different places. He must die for sinners. He must. It was God's will. It was God's appointment. I'm thankful one day he met me 50 years ago and called me to faith. I just met my spiritual father for the, I hadn't seen him for almost 50 years. I went to Maine to see him. He's a maniac and he lives up in the northern section of Maine and I said, you know, you can't get that from here. <laughs> and he speaks just like that. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I loved him for doing that. So I must stay at your house. When he was little, Jesus said, I must be in my father's house. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. He must. He must. And he must save my soul. Maybe he's reaching out to you today. Well, a joyful response, as you can see, of Zacchaeus. He received the Lord with great joy. Just think that. The Son of God would come to the house of such a sinful man. He knew he was unworthy. It's like a dirty, defiled prodigal is welcomed by his father with a kiss as he comes smelling of pigs and of pig dung and comes home. And the father says, no, 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 get the, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes, kill the fatted uh, animal, let's get moving. We're going to put on a big party for this one because he's now home. He's home. And Zacchaeus you're, you're, you're on your way there, the Master Jesus. This is the best day of his life. And he, he's thinking, I only get a look at him. I, all I want to do is just see him. You know, he's in the sea. He comes right over to your tree and he says, hey, I want you down here right now. I'm thinking, yes, sir. <laughs> when Jesus says, move it, it means move it. Come on down. And when your heart hears that call and the Holy Spirit has got you ready, you're ready to come. And he was ready to go. Going to stay at my house? My house? Well, the negative response of the crowd, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They muttered, and you could hear it. And, and he says, I must stay at your house today. And it really, the Greek language is very expressive because it means to, to take off my coat, kick up my heel, sit down, I'm going to your house to relax, we're going to have some food together, we're going to talk, we're going to just fellowship together. It wasn't just, I'm going to your house today, you know, just for a moment. It was, it was that. And the crowds heard Jesus say it, because it wasn't, it was all public. And they got into something which the Greek language says, Daga Daguga. Daga Daguga. Yeah, that, that is a, the Greek word for <laughs> grumbling. Say, so where did they get that word? Because it, it sounds like grumbling. <coughs> <laughs> he grumbled <laughs> what kind of a preacher is he what kind of a what, what, who is he he would even touch this filthy animal he would even why don't you just gut him out he's no good he's a traitor he stole all our money he extorts us he's no good and now I'm going to say because Jesus seeks and saves that which is lost and we may have differences of how lost he is 
But Christ is a compassionate, loving Savior. That's why we have a rest commission. That's why you're helping with that. That's why you're here. That's why you're reaching out to the speculative community. And there's going to be some pretty tough people that you're going to meet. And you might be tempted, because I am as well, tempted to say, well, forget him. Exclude him. We're not going to deal with her. We're not going to help that one. And right now, in the Albany area, by the mission, there is a scourge of, of prostitution that I've never seen before in our city. I've got staff members coming to me crying, women staff members, saying, what can we do? I said, they're the toughest of the tough. There's a lot of mental illness amongst them. There's a lot of drug addiction amongst them. They're selling their souls and bodies for, for nothing, for peanuts. And Jesus loves them, and, and we need to be there. So you pray for us that we, we have many that do come in and, and into our programs. But there's a scourge of it. And a nation that has sold itself to such terrible things and terrible beliefs and terrible situations, we have people who are now throwaway. And it's not nice. It's not good to see. But we're not going to come away from it. We're going to do what God has done here in the power of Christ to bring him to them. You pray for them. Uh, he demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so none of them are outside of the scope of his love. But in order for the church to reach the broken, we must be with them and among them and not of them, but with them and among them. And so wherever we are, that's what we need to be doing. And there's people that you're going to meet. God is going to have you bless them first with acts of love and kindness and words of love and kindness and other things. And then they're going to say, wow, this person seems to have a desire to be a blessing to me or to be a help to me. And then you'll tell them about a Savior that saved you and a Savior them, and you'll invite them to him. But the last slide is, uh, at least in the, is, a, is a, not the seeking Savior, but one more slide. There we go. A spectacular salvation. Wow. Zacchaeus stood up. This is not Nicodemus, you see, or the women at the well, because when, you, when you're there, Jesus, the, the, the scripture tells you exactly what they talked about. And, you know, except you be born again, you should not enter the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus. But in this case, we, we are able not to sit in on that, that conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus had at his house. But we are able to have not Zac Zacchaeus tell us by his life, but then Jesus declare, declare it. And whatever Jesus declares, I love that. So Zacchaeus stood, <laughs> he said, you know, Oh, let me get to my thing here. Somehow I lost my verse here. <laughs> oh. Give me one second here. Okay. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Wow. So he gets up, and he, one of the things he does very, very quickly, he calls Jesus Lord, L-O-R-D. Uh, not just rabbi or teacher or just, you know, some kind of name to give title to him, but he calls him Lord. 
Paul would later say, you know, confess him as Lord. <laughs> Thou shalt be saved, he says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus has had a chance to spend the evening fellowshipping at the house of this man, and now he knows Jesus in a more of a way than he ever thought. And if Jesus, like he did with Nicodemus, and like he did with the woman at the well, asked some very important questions <laughs> and then gave some tremendous salvation message to him, his life was changed. We know that because he comes out and he says, he says to him, you know, I'm going to give half of my, 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 my balance sheet to God for the poor. I'm going to help the poor so you can take half of what I own, all of my investments, everything about it, liquidate it, I want it given to the poor. Now, for a man who has very carefully and very wickedly put together a portfolio <laughs> of a lot of cash, for him to come out and say, and my heart's changed. Now you'll notice in chapter 18 of the book of Luke, there is a section where Jesus comes to a rich young ruler who's got a lot of cash, very wealthy. And Christ said, you know, you need to do something. You need to get rid of all of that because it's keeping you out of the kingdom and sell that, get rid of it, and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he, and he turned away with sadness because he was very wealthy. He said, no, I can't do that. And Jesus would then say to me, yes, I know, basically, in his heart. Jesus knew because that's your God. That's what is more important to you than what I've talked to you about. And so that man didn't do it. Zacchaeus wasn't going to make that mistake. He's given the whole half. Because when Jesus saves you, your life changes, doesn't it? You remember what you used to be and what God has called you to be and how he continues to call. And if you get off track a bit, he says, hey, hey, don't go that way. You're traveling this way with me. Yes, Lord, forgive me. Zacchaeus didn't have that issue. He, he confessed the Lord, the Lord, and gave a change of heart. I Half of my goods I give to the Lord. Wow. That's why I say in here that the the camel has gone through the eye of the needle. <laughs> He's contrite. If I have defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold. It's not just his, his stash of cash. I'm giving it up. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. You do, Jesus. That doesn't. And now he is saying, if I have defrauded anybody, I, I've been mean and nasty to people. I have taken money. I've watched p widows and other people that didn't have the money. They, I, I exacted more taxes than I was supposed to. John the Baptist told the tax collectors, yeah, you got to collect taxes, but don't take more than you're supposed to. Oh, Zacchaeus, that was his life, taking more than he was supposed to. And so now he, he's contrite. In the Greek language, in there's just three conditions that the New Testament basically uses, but the first is the first-class condition If it, with the little word if. If I did this, if I did that, if I did this. Well, first-class condition, it, it assumes that the condition is to be true. Yes, I did it. <laughs> you know, it's like when you come home to your wife and you said, you know, 
if I really hurt you this morning by some of those terrible things I said, if I, if I did, here's these flowers. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean if? <laughs> you did. <laughs> so he says, if, Lord, I have taken more from everybody than I was supposed to, give me, give me, grab, grab. He says, I'm going to pay them all back. So that other half of my portfolio that I kept, it's in escrow. <laughs> and the escrow says, just come to me and say, you know, you stole money from me. You took money when I couldn't have afforded it. He said, okay, give it to him, and then give him four times that. Now, that's some cash. This boy had a big portfolio. <laughs> Jesus, what did you do to him? How did you make... How did you make that was so important to him that he had to grasp and, and, and steal and, and get it and protect it? How did you take that from him? So he calls you Lord and he wants to give his whole life up. Wow. Because Jesus takes that nasty, nasty sin that we have that we're so in love with and turns us to love him. And we love him. And sometimes we slide back and he has to remind us, no, I love you, but I want you to love me and I want you to love these sinners too. And so he, he's ready, restitution. And in the Old Testament, fourfold was pretty much high on the po totem pole for giving away back. If you can't see a change in this man's life, well, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house since he is now, he is also a son of Abraham. He said, salvation is, has come to his house by the Savior of our souls. What a declaration today. And the crowds now knew that Jesus Christ had done a, a job, a, a, something in his life. Could you get to? I don't know what, what he did to him, but this man just gave up all his wealth. The early church later, the writings of the early church father said, that Zacchaeus became the bishop of Caesarea in northern Israel and finished his life out serving Jesus Christ. Now that's a salvation story, isn't it? <laughs> when you look at a man like that, he calls him a son of Abraham. And not because he was happened to be a Jewish man, but because he is a man that the Bible says that we become children of Abraham, we become sons of Abraham, when we, by faith in Jesus Christ, come to know him as Savior and Lord. Because he, by faith, trusted God for his salvation, and it was counted to him for righteousness, his faith. And so thank God that we, in this room, if you know Christ Jesus, you are a son of Abraham, spiritually speaking, though you may not be Jewish. Wow. Uh, go ahead, one more slide. Oh, look at that. <laughs> it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, who can be saved, the disciples said. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You are going to say to yourself, my mother said this all the time. She was, she was Greek Orthodox, and she said, I don't care what you're doing. Your father's a wicked man, and he'll never be saved. He'll never come to faith. Don't worry about him. <laughs> he came up in a very eccentric home that way. But when Dad, two weeks before he died, he called me on the phone to ask me if I would pray with him and receive Christ as a Savior. I had prayed with him for 10 years. 
He was a tough old bird, too. And is it impossible for God to save anyone? No. <laughs> he will, and he does. And he can let, as they say, the old sinner through the eye of the needle. Even with his wealth, God will deal with that, and he did. Uh, the last slide is, is coming up. We'll, we'll be done here in a second. We've we got to finish. Uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, which Zacchaeus did, will be saved. And that's what the message of the cross is. Very, Somebody might be in this room, and you may not be a wealthy man like Zacchaeus or a wealthy woman like Zacchaeus, but there's other things you're hanging on to, and Christ says, turn from them and turn to me. Salvation shall come to your person, to your house, to you. And that's what happened. So Zacchaeus was a picture of some of the, the biggest sinners in the world coming to faith in Christ loves you. He, he knows what you did. He knows what you've done. It has nothing to do with that. You can't, out, you can't outthink him in that. But he wants you to come to faith. So if you haven't today as we close in prayer, thank you. You, you can see there's a lot of Zacchaeuses and Bartimaeuses out there in our world right now. And they need Jesus Christ. They need a witness. They need somebody to go and reach them. And you're doing that here. Be excited that Jesus has put you in a place where you can have a divine appointment with somebody because God has deemed that that person and you will connect and that, that you will bring them to faith in Christ and they will find what that means. And, and that's what this is about. So pray for us down at the city mission. Father, we thank you. If there be one in this room that says, yes, I believe that Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for me. I believe that I just need to ask him to forgive me, to become my Lord and Savior. And right now, I turn from my sin and repentance and come and say, Jesus, I believe you're God's Son, that you died for me and paid for every one of my sins. Jesus, forgive me and become my Savior and Lord. I give you my heart. And like Zacchaeus, I will live the rest of my life for you. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your blessing upon this congregation. Lord, we don't, none of us know how much longer we have, but until that time, to, to work with you in that wonderful, wonderful verse, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You're doing it. You're doing it still, Jesus. Bless this church in that process of working with you. In Christ's name, amen.